I want to welcome everybody back, and thank you for coming to worship today. Um, we are currently in a uh, sermon series called Old School, where we are going into the Old Testament. And sometimes, if you, go, if you spend time in a lot of churches, uh, Christian, Protestant churches, we spend a lot of time in the New Testament, because that's where we encounter Jesus. And of course, that's very primary to being a Christian. We want to follow Christ. We want to know about the teachings of Christ, and we want to understand what it means to follow Christ. So sometimes we camp out maybe a little too much in the New Testament. So what we're trying to do is, is do a little bit of a survey through some of the Old Testament books and really understand how we can learn from these books. Um, if you've ever tried to read through the Old Testament, you might find yourself uh, bogged down in a lot of begats. Have you ever read by the Bible and suddenly you're in a section, it's like Jehoshaphat, uh, begat uh, Jehoiakim, and Jehoiakim begat, and you, you're like, how is this supposed to help me live my life in any, in any decent way? I just know about begat, begat, begat. So sometimes we look at the Old Testament and we think, well, I can't really learn a whole lot. And in any way, isn't it just about Jesus? It's all about Jesus. Well, in fact, there's so much in the Old Testament that is great for helping us live our lives, live our everyday lives in the way that God wants us to. And in fact, we know that because Jesus quoted the Old Testament all the time in his own teachings. So we want to look through the Old Testament and find what are some of the things we can learn and how do we read some of these books in constructive ways for our own lives. I want to talk a little bit about Proverbs today. And we're going to focus in on one area in the book of Proverbs. Um, but uh, if you've read the book of Proverbs, you know it's, it's what they call wisdom literature. The book of Proverbs is wisdom literature largely associated with Solomon, who was the son of King David. So we know the Psalms is mostly uh, uh, Psalms of David, and we know that Proverbs uh, is largely associated with Solomon, although he probably didn't write all of the Proverbs, um, but at least the first half is attributed to Solomon. Um, what I wanted to do is talk first just a little bit about who Solomon was and why is he considered so wise. Well, we get some inkling or some understanding of why Solomon was considered wise if we look at the story in 2 Chronicles chapter 1. And I'm going to read starting from verse 7. Here's a story about Solomon. He was a boy king. Okay, he was a, a young boy and yet he was king over a whole nation. And this is what it says. It says that God appeared to Solomon that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, ask for whatever you want me to give you. Now, is that a good thing for God, the God of the universe, to ask a young boy? Can you imagine the answers most young boys would give? Solomon answered God, you have shown me great kindness. Uh, you have shown great kindness to David, my father, and have made me king in this place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father, David, be confirmed, for you have, been, have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? God said to Solomon, since your heart's desire and you have... Uh, since this is your heart's desire and you have not asked for wealth, possession or possessions or honor, nor for the death of your enemies, and since you have not asked for a long life but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my people over whom I have made you king, therefore wisdom and knowledge will be given to you. And I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor, such as no king who 
who was ever before you ever had and none after you will have. Do you think that he was using some like reverse logic with God or something? Oh, I just want wisdom. Because if so, it worked out really well for him. It didn't it. Because he basically asked for wisdom, and God said, I'm going to give you wisdom, but I'm also going to give you glory, and I'm going to give you honor. I'm going to give you riches like no one has ever known. Pretty amazing. And so this is probably a guy that we want to understand the way his mind works, right? Because he's been given wisdom directly from God. And so the Proverbs are awesome to read. Uh, One note about the Proverbs, because I think there's a little bit misunderstanding about how we read the Proverbs. Um, me and my, uh, my wife and kids went through Proverbs last, last year. We would get up and we would read, as we were eating breakfast, we would read uh, through a couple of verses of the Proverbs. And they're, they're pithy, okay? They're really, really full of information. Um, but one thing to know about the Proverbs is that Proverbs that we encounter in, 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 in this book, they are principles, not promises, Okay, I think that's an important different differentiation. They're principles, not promises. They are uh, they present us with general rules for living good lives. Okay, so sometimes we read promises, uh, and promises are basically things that are always going to be true about God, no matter what. And the the Bible's full of promises, but the proverbs are not promises; they're principles of ways to live your life. Um, and, and so that's one thing to know. What I want to do is I want to read one verse, um, one proverb as kind of our jumping off point because one of the subjects that the Proverbs talk about, it's all about Christian living. One of the things that Proverbs talk about a lot is our work, our work, our vocation, how we, how we actually live our lives in our jobs. Okay, so I want to focus in on a verse that is about that. This is Proverbs 16.3. It says this, Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will succeed. I'm also going to read another, another translation. This is the message. It says this, Put God in charge of your work, then, all that you've, then what you've planned will take place place, then all that you have planned will take place. Um, do you remember your first, I, I should have asked Nick, we usually we sometimes like to have a uh, question to ask somebody as an icebreaker when we're greeting each other. One I would have had you ask everybody uh, around you is, what was your first job? Let's do this. Take one second and, and say to the people right next to you or closest to you, what was your first job? What was your first job? Not the job now. What was your first job? Maybe if you're too young to have a job, you could ask somebody, tell them what you would like your first job to be. Okay, I'm going to give you my first job. The first job I had, I worked at the St. Louis County Library. I loved that job. It was such a great job because there's books everywhere, and I just love books. I just love books. And um, I remember, though, see, the problem is in a job like that, if you love books so much, they don't usually pay you to work at the library to read the books. And yet that's what I really like to do there. And I remember I got my first review. And uh, aren't reviews fun? Don't you love reviews? I had my first job review, and I remember uh, my, my boss at the time brought me into the office and said, and sat me down and started going through the review, and she said, 
Tim, I don't really think you work here. And I, I was like, yeah, I, I do. I mean, I, I get a paycheck, and, and, and I mean, I'm having this review right now. She goes, no, you don't understand me. I don't think you work here. I know that you read here. And we love for people to come into the library and read, but not usually employees. And I remember, I just, I tried to sit there and, you know, I just tried to smile and nod and just listen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then she said, well, what are we going to do about it? And I thought I had the greatest answer. I said, I believe that this conversation has helped immensely. And ever since that, I've always made that. If I ever get in trouble with my wife, I believe that this conversation has helped immensely. That was my first job, and I was not, that was not a great witness. <laughs> Let me say that. That was not a great witness. But Proverbs 16.3 says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will succeed. What I want to do is talk about three things that we'll find all throughout the Bible, especially in the Proverbs, but all throughout the Bible that God tells us about work. So three things the Bible says about work. Number one is this, that hard work is important to God. Hard work is important to God. I want to look at uh, another proverb that, that is really interesting. Proverbs twenty two, twenty nine says this. Do you see people who work skillfully? They will work for kings, but not for lowly people. Do you see people who work skillfully, people that work hard, people that are really putting everything into their labor? They will work for kings and not for the lowly. Um, I had a conversation with somebody who's an engineer recently, and they're a Christian, okay, and they, they were talking about their attention to detail. Uh, and I thought it was really interesting. This engineer told me, my attention to detail is like an act of worship. My attention to detail is like an act of worship. Uh, I think that's a really, really great reframing of how we work, is that what you do can be an act of worship. In fact, sometimes we think about, um, we think about the, there's a scripture that says uh, that we are to pray without ceasing. Could you, in some way, look at your work as a prayer? Could you look at your work, what you are doing on, on a daily basis, your toiling as a prayer to God, as an act of worship, almost like getting up? And, and how can we think about that? Well, Aren't you exercising in your workplace your giftings? Aren't you exercising your giftings? Well, I'll tell you what. What really honors somebody who gives a gift is somebody using that gift, right? I, I can say this as a parent. One of, one of the most annoying, um, annoying, annoying days as a parent is two days after Christmas. You know why? Because you just mortgaged your house to pay for Christmas gifts, Right? And then two days afterwards, your kids are lazing around the house and they're like, I'm bored. What? You're, didn't we just get you all these gifts? Yeah, but now I'm bored. Now, now, something that really honors somebody who gives a gift is when you use that gift, right? So that tells the person who gave the gift, this is, gift is important to me because you're using it. Hard work is important to God because God sees you when you are using your giftings, when you are, you are using everything God gave you. God is, 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 is 
honored by the fact that you're using that to the greatest of your ability. And if you need any other, any other example of why hard work is important to God, isn't it interesting that Jesus had a job? Jesus was a carpenter. Now, Jesus came to this earth to save us from sin and death. Why did he need to get a job? Well, maybe God was trying to tell us something about the importance of work. Do you know that in the Garden of Eden, when everything was right with God, that, that Adam had to work? That Adam actually had to toil? Did you know that when everything is made right again at the end of time, when there is a new heavens and a new earth, did you know there's going to be work? There's going to be work in the new heavens and the new earth. Now, is that disappointing to some people? It's probably like type A people are like, thank God there's going to be work. I don't know what I'd do with myself. I don't want to sit on a cloud all the time. No, God made us to work. In fact, if you, who here has seen the, the Pixar uh, movie WALL-E? That's a horrifying movie, actually, because it presents this future of human beings where everything's automated. And so all the people have basically grown up living in chairs that wheel them around and have screens on them, so much so that their bodies have atrophied to the point where they can't do anything for themselves. And, and, and I think there's, there's a real principle in that that makes sense to me. You were made for work. God made you for work because... Hard work is important to God, and he's made our bodies to be that way. And if we didn't, we would atrophy. We would not be the people that God wants us to be. We were made to work hard. The second thing is this. So hard work is important to God. The second is that your work ethic is important to God. And when I say work ethic, I don't just mean like whether you're lazy or not. That is important to God, but your work ethic goes way deeper than that. It has to do with what drives you to do what you do. What drives you to do what you do? Everyone knows that we should work hard, but what drives us? Who here has heard of the idea of the Protestant work ethic? You heard of that? Sometimes it's called the Calvinist work ethic. Um, it, was, it was an idea that came about by an uh, economist and, and, um, uh, named Max Weber. Now, he was studying nations and why some nations seemed to, and this was, this was the turn of the last century. He was a German economist, and he wanted to find out why do some nations, entire nations, seem to uh, be economically prosperous and some don't. And what he tried to look at was um, a lot of different things. What it came down to in his research was he found that Protestant nations at the time seemed to be doing better than Catholic nations. And what he did was he started to study Catholic theology versus Protestant theology. And what he found was this, was that uh, Protestant theology uh, versus Catholic theology, Catholics tended to have um, an understanding of wealth as being dangerous and wealth as being something that was a corrupting influence on people. If we think specifically about uh, St. Francis of Assisi, he had, he had monks take vows of poverty, saying that they would give everything away and that they would never accumulate wealth. Well, then there was, on the other side, Protestants, and the Protestants, uh, specifically Calvinists, had this totally different view of money. They believed that they, in fact, were a chosen people. That's, that's what pro, that Calvinism specifically says. Now, now we are not, we, we don't ascribe to Calvinist theology in the Methodist church, um, but Calvinist basically says that some people are predestined, 
um, to, to go to heaven, and some people are not predestined to go to heaven. What it does is it creates this idea that some people are chosen and other people are not chosen. Now, if some people are chosen and other people are not chosen, how do you tell the difference between them? We all kind of look the same, right? Well, you can tell because the chosen people will be prosperous people. So the Calvinists would work really, really hard because the fruits of their labor would prove that they were chosen people. And so you have this idea that came out of this called the, the Calvinist or the Puritan or the Protestant work ethic. Then eventually that ethic that, that, that was a part of the founding even of our nation was, was changed a little bit by one of the founding fathers, uh, Benjamin Franklin, who took that same idea and he he secularized. He was not a follower. He was, he was not, not a theist. Um, in fact, he, he took that idea and he secularized it. And uh, poor Richard's Almanac, if you've ever read any of those, it's kind of like Proverbs minus anything about God. Sa- similar ideas, but Proverbs minus any idea of God. He was trying to create a secular work ethic. Now, our work ethic is not just work hard, it has to be grounded on why we are working hard. And that, that matters completely to God. Why you're working hard it is, is just as important with the fact that you need to work hard. And why? Well, there's a story in the Old Testament um, in Genesis chapter 11 about the Tower of Babel. Are you familiar with that story? The idea is this, is that all these, this large group of people get together and everyone speaks the same language at the time. And they decide, let's get together, and and I'm going to just read a short portion of this. This is Genesis 11, uh, verse 4. It says this, Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Emphasis added, I I added that emphasis at the end. Why did they do this? So that we can make a name for ourselves. Now, the Bible talks about this a lot, this idea of pride. Now, pride is, it, you know, it's one of those words that can mean a couple of different things. Uh, in fact, even in the Bible, in the Old Testament, it can be kind of confusing because uh, God talks about Israel being the pride of the nations. So that would seem to think it's a positive word. And, and oftentimes in our society, we talk about civic pride. We talk about having pride in our heritage. Now, in the Bible, there's another, a flip a, a, a reversal of that idea of pride, which is this idea of selfish arrogance. Selfish arrogance. And this is the negative. This is what God wants us to protect our hearts against because we live in a culture that tells you that you work hard to make a name for yourself. You work hard to make a name for yourself. Because how you work, why you work, these should actually not just be about you. If you do this for yourself, what, you're in, what you end up doing is you create a world in which you are the God on the throne. Okay? You work to make a name for yourself. You are basically saying that I am the person on the throne. Um, when we do this, something, something really crazy happens. Everything becomes about us. And so if you are the God in your own universe and you are working to create a name for yourself, you might not even put it in those terms. Most people would not. Most people don't think I'm worshiping myself. But if you are at the center of your universe, if your work life is I work hard to make a name for myself, uh, 
then you start doing religious actions. Yes, religious actions for yourself. You build yourself a temple, which means that you buy a house that'll be a place that shows how great you are. Isn't that what a temple is? And you buy things that are acts of worship. You buy a car that shows everyone what a great God you are. You wear clothes that show what a great God that you are. Um, one of the most uh, depressing things I've ever witnessed, I, um, I live a double life, everybody. I'm actually a musician on the side of being a, pa- a pastor. And years ago, years ago, I, I, was, I was asked to um, play music at a funeral. It wasn't somebody I knew. It wasn't a church I was associated with. But I went to the funeral, and I remember it was the saddest thing um, this lady who had passed away, she was very, very affluent, very affluent. And um, they had a time where people were able to come up and share things they remembered, share, share beautiful stories of, and, and in, in memory of this woman. And there was this awkward silence. They opened it up to anyone who was there, and there weren't many people there. There was a couple of, of, of distant relatives, but no close relatives. And someone who knew this lady got up and, and was the only person who shared a remembrance. And, sh- and th- th- this, this guy got up and said, she had a gorgeous house. She had a really beautiful house. In fact, when they built her house for her, they got all of the marble from Italy. You know, when prideful people die, they leave empty temples behind. Is that what you want to leave this world saying? Had a beautiful house. Had a beautiful house. So Colossians 3.17 says this, Whatever you do, whether in speech or actions, do it all to the name of the Lord Jesus and give thanks to God, the Father, through him. Our work is important, but our, even more than that, our work ethic is important to God. Why are you doing what you do? I want to move on to the last point, and this is really the most important point. So if you forget everything else that, that, that I say today, please hang on to this one point. I've given two points so far when I said the Bible says three things about work. Hard work is important to God. Your work ethic is important to God, but again, this is the most important one. Your work is important to God because the people you work with are important to God. Catch that. Your work is important to God because the people you work with are important to God. How you work, why you work, these should express something about the God you worship, and that sends a message to the people around you. I'm going to read this. These are the words of Jesus, what he has to say about what we do. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16 says this, In the same way, let your light shine before people so they can see the good things you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. This really cracks it wide open, doesn't it? Why? Why should we work hard? Why should, yes, it's honoring to God. He cares about us using our gifts that he gives us. But in the end, God cares about our work because he cares about the people that we work with. In the same way, let your light shine before people so that they can see the good things you do and praise your Father in heaven. We've all got about three areas, maybe, maybe some of us have more, three areas of influence, a sphere of influence. You, and you might think, no, 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 I'm, I'm 
low man on the totem pole where I work. Uh, no, everybody has at least three areas of influence, and those are your family. And, and sorry, you don't always get to choose them, right? There's your family. You have an influence in your family. Secondly, it's your friends. These are the people that you choose to be around. You have an influence on those people. And thirdly, it's your workplace. And you know what? A lot of us are going to spend a lot more time with the people we work with than the people that are our friends. We spend a lot more time with the people we work with than the people who are friends. In your workplace, you should connect the dots between how you work and who you worship. You should be able to connect the dots between how you work and who you worship. Did you know this? You are a walking billboard for the kingdom of God. You are a walking billboard. You are the Goodyear blimp. No, that's not a fat joke. You are the Goodyear blimp for the kingdom of God. Here's what I mean by that. That is an advertisement. And wherever you go, if you are a follower of Jesus, you're advertising the kingdom of God. Maybe some of us feel like, if I am a billboard about the kingdom of God, there's some, there's some peeling paint. There's some letters missing. But it's true. Wherever the people of God go, we are an advertisement for the kingdom of God. And so it matters how you work because what you, how you act in your workplace will, will have some bearing on how people see what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So how can you lead people into the kingdom of God in your workplace? Well, so we, read, we just read from Matthew chapter 5. In the same way, let your light shine before people so that they can see the good things you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. So let them see the good you do. Uh, this is part of the, uh, what Scripture talks about as the Sermon on the Mount, which is an awesome part of Scripture. Matthew 5 through 7 is the Sermon on the Mount, and it's how we live our lives. And it sums it up, and this is a beautiful summation it sums it up with this verse, how you are to act in every sphere. We talked about three spheres, your family, how you act with your friends, how you act in your workplace. It sums it up in this. At the very end, it says this. Matthew 7, verse 12 says this. Therefore, you should treat people in the same way that you want uh, people to treat you. And, and when I say summation, check this out. It says, this is the law and the prophets. You know what the law and the prophets is? It's the whole Old Testament. What Jesus is saying, if you want the Old Testament summed up in one verse, it's this. Therefore, you should treat people in the same way that you want people to treat you. This is the law and the prophets. This is all that, that Proverbs has to say about how you act in the workplace. Now, what I want you to do is, is fill in the blank. What do you do? And, and this is, if, if you don't have a, a, a workplace right now, if you're a stay-at-home parent, put that into this blank. You should blank people in the same way that you want them to treat you. Okay, so if you're a barista, you should barista people in the same way that you want people to barista you. If you're a lawyer, you should treat your clients in the same way that you would want to be treated this is a way that it can change how people view this. And, and a lot of people, this, this is, you know, people talk about this as the golden rule. It's golden because it's a higher ideal that most of us don't live up to every day, right? Because when people treat us badly, we want to treat people badly, right? 
When people treat us, when, when we just want to avoid the people that treat us badly in our workplace, right? But no, we, wish, we should ask that we treat them the way that we would want to be treated. Why? Because God cares about your work because he cares about the people you work with. And I want you to think about, close your eyes for one second, think about the person in your workplace and yes, I even said the person in your workplace to any stay-at-home moms, that might be one of your children. That, that you feel like this is, this is uh, I just feel like I'm coming up against something with this person every single day. That this, this, this is so troublesome for me, and I just want to stay away from this person. I want you to view that person and understand something very important, that that person is loved by God so much that if they were the only person in in the entire universe, God would have still sent Jesus to die on the cross for their sins. You can open up your eyes if you haven't already. So so I want you to think about that. I I, I read um, a book one time uh, by Mitch Album. It was called um, it was called uh, Have a Little Faith. I think it was called, and he he talks about uh, a pastor in downtown. Uh, Detroit, who who is is preaching the gospel always to to the homeless uh, folks, and and actually opens up a gym where they can sleep at night. And he is constantly having to deal with troublesome characters in his work life. Okay, sometimes people that are breaking things in his church or stealing things from him. And and Mitch Album asks this pastor, "How can you always look at these people and and not just want to just give up?" How can you, I mean, you have to work with these people every day, and why don't you just want to give up? And, and the pastor said something that touched me profoundly. He said, when I, I, I try to, when, when I'm, you know, usually at night, I look over this whole group of guys who is sleeping on the floor of our gym, and I know some of them give us trouble every single day. And he said, I look at everybody, and I try to imagine them all as a baby that some mother was holding and just saw them as such a precious child, such a precious gift, that each one of these children was a precious gift. And, and that changes the way I look at them. Could you look at the people in your workplace like that? Could you look at the people that surround you every day that you are hard to love like this is a precious child of God? This is, this is somebody that Jesus loves so much that he died on the cross for. Could we do unto others as we would have others do unto us? I'm going to invite the band back up. And, and as they come back up, I want, I want you to pray with me. And uh, as, as we close our eyes, I, I want you to make... Try this week to commit to praying for how you work. Ask God to reveal to you how wherever you work, and even if you're unemployed right now, you're working. In fact, you're working harder than a lot of us, and you're not getting a paycheck for it. So wherever you are, whatever you're doing on a day-to-day basis, ask God, God, how can I be a billboard, billboard for the kingdom of God to the people around me? How can I share your love in such a way that people connect the dots between how I work and who I worship? Lord God, how can I live out your golden rule in my workplace? I know, Lord God, that you care about my work because you care about the people I work with. So show me, God, how I can show this love, how I can be this love in my workplace. Show me how I can see the people who are hard for me 
as children who are just precious to you. So I'm going to pray into that right now. Lord God, show all of us what it means to live out this great love. You've shown us amazing love. You do every day. You, you woke us up this morning. You put breath in our lungs, Lord God, and you gave us another day to in every sphere of our influence to share the love of Jesus. And I pray that you would show us how we can best do that. I pray, pray that your Holy Spirit would be working on every heart here to tell us when we go into work tomorrow morning, when we go into to our, our wherever that is, and as, as the young people are going into their schools in a couple of weeks, how can I be a billboard for the kingdom of God that connects the dots between how I work and who I worship? Let us be a light that shines in the darkness. Let us be a light that shines in the darkness and leads people into your great love. I pray this in your holy name.